Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. From Decrypt.co, this is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, founder of Freehold, Patrick Stanley talks about his new project. Bitcoin finally gets an ETF in Bermuda. And founder of the Chamber of Digital Commerce, Perry Ann Boring, talks about Mick Mulvaney, the former acting White House Chief of Staff, joining her advocacy group. Coming up on the Decrypt Daily. Good afternoon, everybody. Today is Wednesday, September 23rd, 2020, and the grand jury just indicted one police officer, only one police officer, with wrongful endangerment which is a felony of the first degree, up to five years and $10,000 of fines for the death of Breonna Taylor. Well, well, let me correct that. It wasn't the death of Breonna Taylor that he's charged with. It is the bullets going into other houses that he's charged with wrongful endangerment. Not a single charge for the death of Breonna Taylor. This is going to be a huge news day. We have to figure out why the grand jury came to this decision and I can't see this being just passed over peacefully. So so prayers go out to Lowellville tonight and the rest of the country because this, in my opinion, is injustice. But we're here to talk about crypto, and we have a lot of great news, and we have a lot of good guests on today. Three important articles from Decrypt down in the show notes and three amazing guests. But first, let's look at those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And I'm recording this at 3.15 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is in at $10,420.63, down 0.9% from yesterday. Ethereum, 335.73, down 2.3% from yesterday. Litecoin, $44 even, down 0.2% from yesterday. Chainlink, dropping out of the top 10 into the 11th spot at 8.12, down 8.1% from yesterday. And XRP at 23.1 cents, down 0.5% from yesterday. Total market cap for all cryptocurrencies is $329.8 billion. BTC dominance, 58.5%. In our first conversation today, former acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney joins Blockchain Advocacy Group. And here to talk about it is the founder of the Chamber of Digital Commerce, Perry Ann Boring. Thanks so much, Matt. It's good to be here. Big news today. Mick Mulvaney joins your group. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Mick Mulvaney is an old friend of the chamber. Um, Before he joined the White House to serve as the chief of staff, he was a member of the House of Representatives from South Carolina. So we had the opportunity to work with him in the earliest days of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. So the chamber, we just celebrated our sixth birthday this summer. Congrats. Thank you. Um, So much has happened in six years. And where we are today is very, very different operating environment than six years ago. Um, Six years ago, when we talked about Bitcoin and we talked about cryptocurrencies and we talked about blockchain technology in Washington, D.C., very few people had any idea what the heck it is we were talking about. And uh, there wasn't a ton of interest. And, and Mick, Congressman Mulvaney at the time, was one of the first people on Capitol Hill that 
would take meetings with us, would listen to us, would learn about the challenges, would take the time to get educated on what this industry is all about. And we've been able to foster a a relationship with him um, over many years. So that was really the beginning of the of us meeting um, Congressman Mulvaney. Once he left Congress, he went over to the CFPB where he led that um, regulatory agency. And then he joined the chief of, he joined as chief of staff in the White House. So his role in many different places in Washington will be very helpful as our work at the chamber is working to help uh, navigate through the regulatory challenges that companies that are building with this technology um, face um, here in DC and beyond. And so how do you think that Mick can actually I mean, can help with that goal that you have. I mean, how can he, is it just navigating Congress? Is it understanding the law? Is it lobbying different congressmen? How can he help? I would say one of the biggest challenges that we face is getting policymakers and our government leaders to one, acknowledge the critical role that blockchain technology will play in the global economy for many generations to come, similar to what the internet did, and getting the government to ensure that we have a plan in place to encourage the private sector's development and uh, innovation of blockchain technology and ensure that the United States remains at the forefront of being a technical leader on the global stage. Um, Today, we're very, very far away from reaching that goal. We've certainly made progress. We have a lot of challenges as an industry from a regulatory perspective. So having someone who's as tenured as Mr. Mulvaney, who has served in the halls of Congress, and he served in the highest offices in Washington, D.C., will be incredibly valuable as we're trying to make the case about the critical importance of this technology and ensuring that our policymakers are doing everything they can to learn as much as they can about this technology and ensuring our leadership on the global stage. You said it's hard to get legislators to acknowledge this new technology. Why is that the case when they've already seen the 90s and what the internet did to the world? And they already see like things that are media technologies like Tesla and what it's doing to the country and the world and and transportation. Why is it so hard to get people to acknowledge new tech? (laughs) It's funny. I mean, to us, it seems very uh, very simple. I think it's really two two things. One is there's been a lot of, of negative press and PR around cryptocurrencies. Back in the earliest days of crypto, back when there was really just one crypto, Bitcoin, and maybe a few altcoins out there. In 2013, Bitcoin went through a pretty um, significant battle with um, Silk Road, Mt. Gox, and then there was also Liberty Reserve, which wasn't Bitcoin related, but it all kind of got lumped into the same group of uh, topics. And so you had these very, these first impressions of policymakers where this technology is a scam or it's been hacked or it's only used uh, for illicit purposes. And that's just what people think of it because they don't know any better. And then I think on the other hand, you know, one is all of the negative negativity around cryptocurrencies. On the other hand, I think it, it, it's a prioritization issue. Um, I used to work in the U.S. House of Representatives. I worked for another member of Congress and members of Congress vote on issues that impact all areas of our economy and our society, and they have to become experts in so many issues. And if you look at what the priorities are today, what the things we are talking about from a political perspective, um, immigration, it's dealing with this global health pandemic and the economic crisis that has um, pursued. We have an election, so everyone is very focused on um, now to election day and campaigning. 
And where does block, blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies and digital assets, where does it line up in that list of priorities when you have all these other things pulling at you? And that's a big part of our, our message here at the Chamber of Digital Commerce is like, is look, we, this is incredibly important. If we mess this up, it could really impact our national security. It could impact our economic security. And we've got to get it right. And that's our job as advocates to be ringing those alarm bells and to be continuing continuing to hold that torch in DC to ensure that we are not overlooked as an industry, that while our country faces many, many challenges, we keep blockchain at the top of the priority list and we ensure that our businesses, our entrepreneurs, our investors, technologists, the architects, the engineers that are working in this space, they have what they need to be successful and that the government is encouraging the work that they're doing with this incredibly important technology and they're not driving them overseas. Before I ask this last question, I want to say thank you very much for carving a little bit of time out of your day to come talk mm -hmm. to us. Can I deduce that if Mr. Mulvaney is joining the an advocacy group for blockchain that the Trump administration is bullish? I sure hope they are and we're doing absolutely everything we can to ensure not only the Trump administration, but all policymakers on all sides of the aisle are supportive of this technology and have professionals and the tools and resources they need to be able to help guide the many decisions they have to make that are going to impact our ecosystem. Perry, and I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Matt. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time and look forward to coming back soon. ETF, ETF, ETF. We've been saying, we've been asking, we've been crying for it. And every chance the SEC gets, they slap it away. They strike it down. They deny us our pleasure of saying, ha, we got this now. But not Bermuda. They got our back. And here to talk about that is Decrypt writer Matt DeSalvo. Matthew, welcome back to the show, brother. Thanks for having me on again, Matt. Absolutely. So we didn't get what we wanted, but we did kind of get it. It's like, you ever see that one meme where they have like a half of a horse and like half of the horse is like a picture of a horse and the other half is drawn by like a two-year-old? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I feel when I see this headline. A Bitcoin ETF finally launches in Bermuda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a strange one, really. They've been trying to get crypto or Bitcoin ETFs like in the US for, for ages now and applications just kept getting rejected. But now we've got one, you know, Bermuda, Bermuda, which is close enough. But yeah, listed on the Bermuda Stock Exchange is, is the world's first crypto ETF. And, and what, what is an ETF, my friend? Yeah, so an ETF in, in traditional finance is basically an investment that can easily be traded on the stock market. And a Bitcoin ETF is the same thing, but it basically means that investors can invest in cryptocurrency or Bitcoin without actually having to own, the, the, you know, have the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in their own wallets or whatever. Someone else is dealing with that. They're just slapping down money. They're saying, I like the look of this Bitcoin or, or whatever other cryptocurrency. I want to invest in that. But I don't want to deal with all the technical stuff behind it. Does this benefit Bitcoin or benefit the a whole crypto sphere in general? It's going to be another step in the right direction for getting traditional people who are involved in traditional finance and mainstream finance involved in Bitcoin. We've been seeing that happening now for a while with, you know, Wall Street bigwigs saying, you know, I want to I want to get more involved in this world. I'm investing. I think Bitcoin's a good investment. And the fact that this has been this is a world's first crypto uh, ETF has now been listed on a major stock exchange. I think that's that shows that. Um, yeah, we're going to see more people now getting involved. But like I said before, with the meme of the half photograph horse and the half horse drawn by a two-year-old, <laughs> how many people really are going to get involved in a Bitcoin ETF in Bermuda? Like maybe a handful at the most? And is it 
opened for people here in the United States or close countries or countries with ties to the, to Bermuda? I think anyone can get involved. Yeah, um, Bermuda is like a tax haven and it's actually a crypto friendly nation. Right on, Matthew. Well, thank you for covering this story. And would um, you have any insight of when we're going to see ETF in the U.S. in New York or in Chicago? Um, hopefully soon. I mean, it, it feels like maybe this will nudge along the SEC. But previously, they were just like, yeah, saying no to lots of applications. Um, late last year, they said no. So you know, who knows? Matthew DeSalvo, writer for Decrypt. Thank you very much. Thanks. One of the hardest things about starting a new project in the crypto space is getting people to not only hold your cryptocurrency and not tank the price, but help build. You know, a lot of cryptocurrencies are community-based. So Patrick Stanley had a plan. He decided to start Freehold. And that's to incentivize people not only to hodl, but to build. Let's hear about it. Here, here it is, man. Freehold is going to incentivize people to just not hodl and not do anything, but also build. Can you tell me what the whole idea is with Freehold? Freehold is a new model for developing communities. I think the last two decades have been defined as engineer for founders. It's been defined as engineer as founder or salesperson as founder. And I think the next 10 years are really going to be marked by community builder as founder. And crypto, kind of hidden in plain sight, has the potential to provide a set of tools for these types of founders. So what Freehold is, is it's a community where you enter into the Freehold by first claiming a stake in that Freehold's token. Right now, we're launching the first Freehold called Stacks, STX. So folks who will gain a stake of Stacks tokens to get in, and then they'll be incentivized to do work on behalf of that Freehold. So that work can be evangelizing new hodlers. It can be building exchanges that require some stake in that currency. It can be a variety of different things. The folks who continue to build uh, will also be required to continue to hodl. So you're kind of moving the dial from mercenary closer to missionary in terms of uh, how people apply you know, effort and, and impact to uh, that specific freehold. You know, a couple of questions that came out of what you just said, and this is doesn't seem, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, this doesn't seem that's anything new. Like in, in a DAO organization, you would have a people contribute and then the community vote on how much they got paid or, or if they would pay or recompensate for that contribution. What is the different structure that uh, makes sure that people that are hodling or contributing are getting paid and paid what they are deserved? I think for one, proprietary governance is incredibly undervalued. People generally have the ability to exit from a freehold via capital flight at the speed of light into another freehold if they want to, or just liquidate altogether. I think the DAO model of like decentralized governance can work in many cases and, and, is, and is, is a great thing. But it's not clear to me that decentralized governance is necessary for all organizations. And I think what's different about the types of tasks that, are, that can be done in Freehold is you can actually have like a community level task where a milestone is hit and the community gets rewarded. So you could have like essentially like a, like a box score, the community as a whole working toward some greater task that would be impossible uh, for one person to hit. You know, curation is incredibly important. Like people, like having having good sense and not just not just uh, going with the wisdom of the crowds has its benefits. So that uh, I would say would be sort of the difference. If you are telling people to hodl and making people hodl, then mm -hmm. who is controlling their coins or the tokens? And if it's not their keys, it's not their coin. How do they ensure? If you are, in, they say, 
the custodian of it or limiting their oh, access see, to it how, yeah, how do they so how do you ensure that they are able to get what they are owed or something that is owned by them every freeholder owns their own keys and those keys cannot be taken away from them by anyone when they're holding that's all self-custody in the future maybe folks maybe folks will opt for a custody option but for now and that's all self-custody and if there's any sort of foul play with the community builders founder or the community at large or the or you know if the token schedule changes or just something that you're not a fan of it's in the best interest of the freeholder to liquidate and find another freehold to to get into and really quick what is the end goal for Freehold? Like, what do you want to see happen in the crypto space that Freehold can accomplish? I want to see more people working for things they believe in and growing in the wealth of helping uh, sort of accelerate those things. Secondly, I think we're living in like the blogger, the blogger.com era of investing. And we're about to move into the twitter.com era of investing where everyone becomes an investor. Like if Robinhood is uh, any proving point, there are a lot more people, especially younger people, coming online, gaining, you know, owning stocks, for example, owning crypto. And I think um, the next step, you know, pulling, uh, pulling, you know, essentially everyone in as a stakeholder in digital wealth creation and tech and new technology development. Patrick Stanley, I thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, brother. See you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. We only have two days left of the Decrypt Daily. Sad times when the weekend comes and there's no daily crypto news but you know what i'm going to give you a full dose between tomorrow and the next day i have two shows lined up that are great great information the conversation i have tomorrow is inspiring me to do a whole full long-form podcast about the topic so do not miss tomorrow's conversation it's super interesting i'll see you tomorrow and happy hodling everybody